0: Uh, the scripture that we'll be reading today is from Matthew chapter five, uh, verses twenty-seven through thirty-two. Again, that's Matthew five twenty-seven through thirty-two. You have heard that it was said, "You shall not commit adultery." for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery.
1: So this morning, we're talking about the seventh commandment, which says, you shall not commit adultery. And um, yeah, just like in this passage that Lindsay just read, you know, Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he addresses this. And when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adul- adul- adultery, he's thinking about Exodus twenty fourteen and the command that was given to the Israelites and the Ten Commandments, um, you shall not commit adultery. So I, I just want to ask a question before we dive in and kind of talk about what Jesus is, what Jesus means when he says adultery and what he's talking about when he says lust and, and what he's talking about regarding divorce. I just want to ask a question. And again, this is, I think our, our culture is not shy about talking about sex. The Bible, Jesus is certainly not shy about talking about sex. And so, you know, I don't think we should be shy about, about talking about it. Either, so I just want to ask the question: what is sex for what is the what is the purpose of it what how does God see sex and how should how should we see sex and you know whether we're whether we're single whether we're married, whether we're divorced whatever our whatever our relational status is is something we think about so how should we how should we think about it well I, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts, I find it's a great way to kind of just hear a lot of different diverse perspectives, and I like to listen to um, a lot of, of fitness podcasts, it's a genre that I like, and has anybody heard of a guy named Aubrey Marcus? Has anybody heard of him? Kevin's not on his head, my fellow fitness aficionado, <laughs> um, so Aubrey Marcus is a guy who started an organization called the Onnit Academy, and they do, they have a lot of, like, fitness and, and nutrition resources, and, but he's also, um, I definitely don't agree with everything he says, which I'm about to talk about, um, but I like a lot of their stuff, but he, he also, he, he has a podcast where he talks about his his life philosophy and things like that, and I don't listen to it much, but I heard an interview with him one time, and, and he's a big, so so he was... This is what he said. I'll just say what he said. It, because I think it reflects to an extent, I think he says it a little bit more bluntly and, and clearly than a lot of people would, but I think it reflects the way a lot of people think about sex in our, our culture today. And what he says is, he says, um, he says human beings are are like pleasure monkeys. Okay, Says so if you're a human being, you're a pleasure monkey, all right? And so he says that he says, I, I don't, says, I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm an evolved pleasure monkey. And so I don't, I don't want to leave this life without pushing all of the pleasure buttons that I can. I don't wanna, you know, um, and, and he's a big advocate of, 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 of polyamory and of, hey, you know, I, you should try as many different things Uh, sexually as you you can. You're just trying to find, he says we have all these pleasure buttons, we should try to push as many pleasure buttons as we can. Right? So that's what he says. It kind of reflects this idea um, that, and again, I don't know that many people would say it quite like that, (laughs) Um, but it kind of reflects this idea that sex is kind of like, sex is kind of like sharing a meal with somebody. Right, that's so what some people would think. sex is kind of like sharing a meal with somebody. you know you go to dinner you you enjoy something together, you have a good connection, and then you go home and you know, like nobody if if i if I told you I had dinner with five people this week, you know, oh, okay, and so I think kind of his Aubrey Marcus's point is well, why would we you know. It's isn't it close-minded? Isn't it like just repressing who we are to to say that you know there's something wrong with having sex with five different people in a week? Just like it's not wrong to to have dinner with five different people in a week, right? Anybody uncomfortable? <laughs> um, yeah. So and obviously I, I don't I don't agree with that, but. Um, how many of you can have, have kind of heard that type of, ha, have encountered that type of philosophy in, in some way? Um, yeah, in, in some way. I guess a lot of us have, right? And so what do we do with that? Because, you know, we don't want to be repressed. We don't want to, you know, we we want to enjoy life. So, So what do we do? Well, I think the key to understanding this is understanding that, when God talks about sex, He talk what God and what Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount want to help us understand, is that there's more going on when you have sex than you pushing my pleasure button and me pushing your pleasure button. Okay. Um, so in in Genesis two, God He he, he gives human beings the command, the first command that God gives human beings is, go and have babies and fill the earth. He says, you are my image bearers. Your job is to, to rule over the earth, to take care of the earth, and I want as many of you as possible, and I want you all, all over my creation, okay? And, and so there's a question, well, how do we do that? And, and so then God establishes marriage, and he says that in marriage, what happens is is one man, and one woman come together, and they they have sex, and that um, and that produces produces offspring. But he also says a, a phrase that's really I think is really beautiful. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. He says the two will become one flesh. Okay, and Jesus in Matthew 19, when he's talking about divorce, he he says, he he quotes this, and he says, therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and cleave, cleave together with his wife, and the two will become one flesh, and he adds another phrase. He says, and what God has joined together, let nobody separate. Okay, so Jesus is saying there's something more going on than just having a meal together. Right? There's a bond that he refers to as this one flesh unity that is created when, when, when people have sex. And so, you know, so often we think of, when we think about sex, we think about, okay, God has a lot of rules about what you can't do. And, you know, he's trying to, we, 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 you know, we kind of think like Eve thought. God's trying to take away my fun. He's trying to help me. He's trying to keep me from experiencing the fullness of life that I could experience. And I think, first of all, we need to give God credit, not the, you know, yeah, we need to give God credit. We need to praise God. You know, he, he could have said, okay, you know, I want you to have a lot of babies and fill the earth. So the way you do that, if you can take a thousand rocks and pile them on top of each other, then they're going to turn into a baby, <laughs> Right? He, but, but he didn't do that. He made, it, he made it fun. He made it enjoyable, right? Because he loves us. And so and he wants us to, to enjoy sex, um, but he doesn't want us to be hurt by it, right? And so the, the only reason, whenever God gives us a command, like we talked about a few weeks ago with the Sabbath, it's not because he's trying to keep something, he's not trying to take something away from us or keep something from us, it's because what? He wants something for us. And it's the same way here, that God wants us to enjoy to enjoy sex without being hurt by it. And adultery, so he said, you know, one man and one woman come together in this one flesh union called marriage. And, and God says, God talks about adultery, and adultery is basically when two married people, we have a, a married person who says, well, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna have sex with somebody that I'm not married to. Okay, and and then another word the Bible uses a, a lot, and that Jesus talks about here in this passage, um, is is sexual immorality, which kind of covers a whole list of of things, um, including sex before marriage, um, and basically any type of 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 sex other than 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 a marriage between a man and a woman, and. So the question is, well, why? What is God? What is God doing there? And and what He's doing is that when we have this one flesh union, when you have this one flesh union, you can't. Jesus says, let nobody, let nobody tear it apart. Let nobody break it apart. Right? When you have this one flesh union, if you tear it apart, and then go find somebody else, then you're going to hurt yourself. And you're going to hurt the person that you were one flesh with. And the same way, if you, if you you join your bodies together, if you become one flesh with somebody, but then you don't commit to them and you don't live in that one flesh union with them in marriage, then, then you're hurting each other because you're creating that one flesh union and then you're not honoring it. Okay, so, so the only reason God gives us commands like this, it's not because he's trying to take something away from us, it's because he's something, trying, to give us, trying to give something to us, or he wants something for us, okay? So Jesus in Matthew 5, you know, we talked last week about how Jesus, he comes along and says, you know, if you really, if you wanna stay out of jail, don't murder. But if you wanna be like if you want to bear God's name well, then don't be unrighteously angry and don't hate people and and forgive and love your enemies right and in the same way jesus is saying okay there's there's certain things if, if you want to you know if you if you want to avoid getting cancelled you know if, if you want to avoid you know public embarrassment then yeah there's certain things you you should you, you should avoid but if you want to be like your Father who is in heaven, if you want to be salt and light, if you want to bear the name of God and keep it holy, then it's not just about what we do, it's about our hearts, okay? And so Jesus specifically talks in verses twenty Matthew 5, verses 27 through 32, he talks about two things, which are kind of two ways that we, you know, I think because we, we, We have that lie, the same lie that Eve believed, which is that gods he's trying to hold out on me. You know, if I'm really going to experience the fullness of life, then I can't just, I can't just follow God. I have to, I have to look out for myself too. I think because we, because we have that lack of trust in our heart, we're always looking for workarounds. When God gives us a command, instead of trying to say, okay, what is, what is his heart, what does he want, and how can I pursue that? We say, okay, he's telling me I can't do this, but what else can I do? But we're always looking for loopholes, we're always looking for, for, for workarounds. And, and two of the workarounds that, that, that happen sometimes that, that Jesus talks about here, one is, is divorce, and, and another one is, is lust. And so, so let's talk about this. What does it mean? Because I think that there's some misconceptions about about divorce, and there's some misconceptions about lust. So let's let's talk about what the Bible says about these two things. Well, let me take divorce first, and then we'll spend a little bit more time talking about talking about lust. Well, okay. So the biblically, if you look at Matthew 19, if you look at this passage, if you look at um, some of Paul's writings and his and his letters. There are certain situations where the Bible says that divorce is not sinful. In situations of, of sexual immorality, where, where one partner is unfaithful, in situations of, of abuse, or in situations of abandonment, when, you know, when one partner refuses to live, refuses to live with the other partner. Um, and walks out on them, or or kicks them out, or, or or something like that, right? So in these situations of where there's adultery, where there's abuse, where there's abandonment, these are situations where God God says that divorce divorce is not necessarily sinful. Now He doesn't say if this happens you have to get divorced, but but He's He's saying that that, that under these circumstances it's. It's not something that dis, i mean—it displeases him because he wants us to be be unified, but but it's not something that's 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 necessarily sinful, okay? Um, but but sometimes the reason for divorce is not because one partner has committed adultery or one partner has, um, has has been abusive or one partner has abandoned the other. It's because you know I want to try a different flavor right you know we're we're not happy we we argue too much we're we're not you know we're i don't know we're we're not happy and and wouldn't you know wouldn't we be happier wouldn't i be happier wouldn't you be happier wouldn't the whole family be happier if we just kind of stopped this and and just tried start over and try again with with somebody else and and what Jesus is saying is that's not okay because you might not feel close, but in god's eyes you're you're one flesh and if you if you rip that apart, if there's not a, a biblical reason for that, if you rip that apart and try to form it again with somebody else, that's what Jesus is saying here is is adultery now that doesn't mean that it's always sinful to get divorced and then remarry um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, and I think that we need to you know we need to not have a stigma against people who are divorced because we need to hear people's stories. We need to hear their heart. We need to come alongside them and, and love them, whether it was a biblical divorce or an unbiblical divorce, right? But, but this is, yeah, but, but this is important because, again, when marriage and sex creates this one flesh union, which Jesus says, you know, what God has joined together, let nobody, let nobody tear apart. Okay, so that's number one is, is divorce. Number two, the, the first one, but it's the second one that I'm talking about here that Jesus talks about is, um, is lust. So, um, okay, so, so what is lust? The first thing I wanna say is one thing that is not sinful that I think sometimes we can feel unnecessarily ashamed of One thing that is not sinful is is being attracted to somebody. Okay, being attracted to somebody. We can't help but notice when people are attractive. You know, we can't help but notice when, you know, we can't help but notice, right? And so sometimes when we feel ourselves like, okay, that person's really, really attractive, the way they look or the way they act or something like that, you know, that's not... That's not a sin, okay? That's not a sin to, to notice that somebody is attractive, to notice that somebody is, I don't know, de- de- desirable. Um, that's, that's not a sin, okay? That, that's because we're humans and we're sexual beings. We, you know, we, we notice each other, right? But what is sinful is, is, is lust. So, so what is lust and how is it different? How is being attracted to somebody different from lusting after somebody, okay? Well, the word that's translated here, I think this is really interesting. The word that's translated here for lust, when he says anybody, when Jesus says in verse uh, verse 28, that anybody who looks at a woman, and it's not just men looking at women, it's women looking at men, or women looking at women, or men looking at men. Anybody who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in, in his heart. Okay, this word that's translated lust is the same word in other parts of the New Testament and other parts of, of, of the Gospels that's translated covet. Okay, it's translated covet. And so covet, you shall not covet, that's the 10th command. And so what Jesus is doing is, is saying that if you, that, that the 10th command and the 7th command, they go together. And really, all of the commands go together, but especially the 10th command and the 7th command, because... If you're coveting your neighbor's wife, or you're coveting your neighbor's husband, you know, you might not have been physically unfaithful, but that's 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 lust. Okay, that's you're being you're being immoral, that's adultery in the heart, just like hatred or lack of forgiveness or bitterness is murder in, in in the heart, right? So, you know, my mom told me when I was growing up that she had this phrase that I thought was good. She said, you know, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And I think part of that line between attraction and then lust is when it's not, oh, that's a, that's a sharp-looking person. But when you say, that is a really sharp-looking person, this is sharp about him, and that is sharp about him, and man, like, and, and you're, you're letting the birds build a nest in your hair, right? And then it leads to, to, to fantasy, which is basically saying, man, wouldn't it be so great if I could be with that person? Wouldn't it be so great, man, like, compared to my husband, that guy is just so, I mean, man, wouldn't it be so much, i would be so much happier. I don't ever do it, you know, because that would be embarrassing, but I would be, I would be so much happier if I was with him or if I was with her or if, or, or if just once I would like to have a chance to blank. Well, that's when you're crossing that line from attraction into the birds are building a nest in your hair. And and you're fantasizing, and that's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about lust. Does that make sense? So, and Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. So basically what he's saying, he's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating for, for, for effect. He's not asking us to actually chop off our hands. But what he's saying is Jesus takes sexual immorality really seriously. And and we should too. And so whatever you need to do to avoid temptation, whatever you need to do to be faithful to your your spouse, then you need to do it, even if it inconveniences you. So maybe that looks like you know when when you're when you find yourself noticing somebody, and again it's not a sin to notice that somebody's attractive, but when you find yourself in that mindset and you're really kind of dwelling on it, say, you know what, I'm gonna stop thinking about that. I'm not, I'm not gonna try to press the line of how how, how much longer, how much more of this person can I think about before it becomes lust. So I'm gonna cut that off, I'm not gonna do that. I, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna run around with my eyes closed because oh, I'm afraid I'm gonna see somebody pretty. But, but if I find myself kind of thinking ab- about that, I, I'm just gonna say, it's not, I don't know if it's been lust yet, but I don't want it to get to lust, so I'm just going to stop and, you know, go do something fun or distract myself or, better yet, go on a date with my wife, right? A- another way is to avoid certain situations where you know you're going to be tempted, whether that's if, it, you know, maybe certain situations with coworkers, certain situations with friends where you want to say you know what just to just to try if I know that I'm weak in this area just to try to avoid the temptation I'm gonna proactively look to avoid that a big thing I know this has been a big thing for me and I'll share a little bit more of, of my story with this in a second but when I was in when I was in college I, I really struggled with I really struggled with pornography and which is definitely lust you're definitely coveting you know this person in in your heart when you're when you're looking at pornography or or things like that on on your phone or on your computer and and one thing I you know I that I did is I said you know that was about the time where a laptop had become essential you know like everybody had a laptop you had to have a laptop to be on campus but but I said you know I, I I left my laptop at home my parents had bought me this brand new laptop and I said you know what this is doing me more harm than good, if this means I have to take some more late night trips to the computer lab to print stuff off, that's gonna be worth it, right? So whether it's with your phone or with your computer, what do I have to do? It's not being legalistic, but it's what do I have to do because I know that God, he tells me not to lust. He, he, he tells me not to commit adultery, not because he's trying to spoil my fun, but because he's trying to help me savor my fun. <laughs> he's trying to help me enjoy what he's trying to, to give me. He wants something for me, not something from me, okay? So, so, so what do we do? And again, I mentioned this when we were doing communion. Whenever we talk about sex, it brings up a lot of shame. And, and I, know, I know it does for me when we think about ways that we've messed up, um, things that we've done that we've struggled with in the past, Maybe even struggle with currently. It brings up a lot of shame. So, so what do we what do we do with that? How are we supposed to respond? You know, I had so many times when I was in college. I mean, I was I was a Christian. I was walking with the Lord. I was reading my Bible. I was going to church. I was in accountability relationships. But I was struggling with pornography, <laughs> and you know, um, I, I'm not embarrassed to say that because. Because God, God, God has given me a lot of grace to, to grow. And he's, he's, he's given me freedom in that area. Not freedom to do that, but freedom from that. Um, so, and there were so many times when I would look at pornography and then I would say, the, the next morning or whatever, I would just say, I would just feel like crap. And I would just feel like such, I would feel so ashamed. And I would feel like such a dirty, good for nothing, you know, garbage human being. And I wonder if some of you have felt that way before. And I wonder if maybe even some of you feel that way right now. (laughs) And as I'm talking about adultery and divorce and about lust, if you, maybe you're even kinda mad because you're like, he's making me feel guilty, he's making me feel ashamed, I don't like that. And there were so many times when I would tell myself, never again, never again. I can't believe I did that, that was the last time. And I would have about a week of extra long quiet times And whenever a thought came into my mind, I was like, no. And I would feel really good about myself. Man, look at, see, I'm being so self-disciplined this time. That really was the last time. But after a few weeks or a few months, when I started to feel lonely, I started to feel sad, started to feel tired, then that temptation would come back again and those birds would start building their nest in my hair. And then I would stumble again. And then you start that giant shame cycle all over the next morning. But only this time, that that shame monster who's telling you you're a good-for-nothing, dirty, which actually Satan, it's not Jesus, it's Satan, who's telling you you're a good-for-nothing, dirty, slimy, you know, filthy person that nobody's ever gonna love, got a lot louder because now, it wasn't the first time, it was the second time, or it was the third time, or it was the fourth time, or, or, or whatever. And I'm trying to be really vulnerable here because I, I, I think that this is important to talk about the gospel in these areas. So, so what do we do when we are experiencing shame, when we are experiencing guilt, especially in the area of sexuality, but really in any area? Well, I think you have, I think you have basically three options, okay? The first option is the Aubrey Marcus option. Okay, which is basically to say the only problem here is that you're afraid to be happy. The only problem here is you have this closed-minded, repressed, you know, that you think pornography is wrong or you think lusting is wrong or you think sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage is wrong. That's so old-fashioned and closed-minded and puritanical and blah, 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 blah. You get rid of that, you know, repressive ideology, and then you just won't feel shame, and, and problem solved. You just need to accept that you're a pleasure monkey and not be ashamed to push your own pleasure buttons, right? And, you know, that's an option. But again, as followers of Jesus, it is not if we wanna if we wanna call ourselves disciples of Jesus, and we talked about this before. It's not an option for us to call ourselves a disciple of Jesus, and then treat His commands as suggestions. Right? That's that's not well, you can you can do that, but we can't call ourselves a disciple of Jesus and then say, Yeah, well, Jesus said that, but you know, that's not the command I want to think about today. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. All right. So that's option one. Option number two is what I was doing when I was in college, which is beat yourself up and beat yourself up some more and, you know, lash yourself. I wasn't really lashing myself, but just like, oh, I'm such a dirty, good-for-nothing person. And just when that shame monster is barking at you, just feed him and feed him and feed him and feed him and let him get as big and as loud as possible. And you are say, you're right, I am a really dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing piece of crap and nobody's gonna love me. And you imagine Jesus and Jesus, J- Jesus, you know, like, when that shame monster is barking at you, Jesus is looking at you like. And Jesus is just so disappointed and you're in the doghouse now and yeah, he's not gonna send you to hell because you prayed that prayer, but he's not super happy about it. That's option two. And that leads to the shame cycle. And I think that's where a lot of Christians are, is stuck in that shame cycle. One of the reasons that I'm a Christian, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I'm a Christian and a big reason I'm a Christian is because apart from Jesus, you only have the Aubrey Marcus option and the shame monster option. Those are your only two options. Jesus gives us a third option. Jesus gives us a third option. And this is something that many of you have heard me talk about there's something that sometimes I refer to as spiritual breathing, which is basically just, we call it spiritual breathing, not because it's a weird meditation thing, um, but but because it's, it's something that you do all the time, constantly, consciously and unconsciously, to experience life. And there's three steps to it. Step number one is you confess your sin. You say, God, I did this, it was wrong. I'm not gonna pretend that it wasn't wrong. Yes, I was tired, yes, I was lonely. Yes, I do have a legitimate desire for sexual intimacy which you gave me, but that's not an excuse. It was sin, and I I confess that that's sin. That's step number one. Step number two is to receive and celebrate God's forgiveness. And this is the, if you only do step one, you're really doing the shame monster option. Okay, if you wanna, if you wanna be a Christian, if you wanna experience Jesus' love, you have to keep going after step one. Step two is, is receiving and celebrating God's love and forgiveness. First John 1, 9 says, if you say you don't have sin, if you go the Aubrey Marcus route, I don't have sin, then, then you're a liar. And, and the truth is not in you. But 1 John one nine says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and he is just, which that's crazy, that's part of his justice, and we'll talk about that more later, not today, but a different time. And he is faithful to, to to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all of what? Cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. So not only does he say, you're forgiven, I'm not going to punish you for that. He cleanses you of all of your unrighteousness, which is another way to say there is no doghouse in God's house. God loves dogs, (laughs) but there is not a doghouse in God's house. If you are his son or if you are his daughter, then he loves you, and no matter what you've done, he's not looking at you like, He's running towards you and he can't wait to give you a hug and put the ring on your finger and the robe around your your neck and to have a big feast with you. And you say, God, thank you that you have died for that sin and you don't see me as this nasty, dirty person that's not worthy of love anymore. You see me as somebody who is righteous just like Jesus is righteous. And you love me and other people are gonna love me too. And then number three, the third step is to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to change. And again, when I was talking about when I was in college, I was trying really hard to change. I was trying really hard to change. I was cutting off hands and you know gouging out eyes and all this type of stuff. I really wanted to change. But that was the problem is I was trying really hard to change. If you look at Galatians 5 in the passage about the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says that self control is not a fruit of Ryan beating himself up and thinking about what a terrible person he is and trying really, 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 really hard. Self control is a fruit of what? It's a fruit of the Spirit. And so the third step is we come before God and we say, God, I've sinned, you're not mad at me. Thank you, thank you that you love me so I can love myself too with all my faults. And God, I really wanna change. Not because I'm afraid you're gonna send me to hell, but because I know that this will be better for me. But I can't do it on my own. I need your spirit to give me self-control. I need your spirit to give me patience. I need your Holy Spirit to give me love. It can't come from me because I don't have it. I need it to come from you. And when we do that, we start to be salt and we start to be light. And people start to talk to us and they say, man, you're you're kind of a straight-laced person. You know, you don't do this and you don't do that, but I don't get the sense that you think you're better than me. Why is that? I thought all religious people were just prudes that were afraid of sex and, you know, just walked around with their shoulders hunched and all ashamed. What's different about you? And then they'll see our good works and they'll glorify our Father who's in heaven. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for helping me when I couldn't help myself. Thank you for giving me patience and peace and self-control. I need you to give me more of it. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, for anybody who's experiencing shame and experiencing guilt We reject any and all condemnation in the name of Jesus Christ. But Holy Spirit, we ask that if there's anything that's unpleasing to you and us, please help us to see it so we can heal and so we can change. Father, help us to be that city on a hill. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to be full of grace and full of truth, just like you are. In Jesus' name, amen.